stand one more time for the reading of God's word from Galatians 5. I'm going to read the entire paragraph in which the fruit of the Spirit is found at the very end. You'll also notice in your insert, the fruit of the Spirit verses are bold. Let's read the, that together. I'll read the, whole, the, the unbold. We'll read together once we get to the end. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Everybody. But the fruit... This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I've had the joy now of being in full-time ministry as a pastor for 10 years. Since 2013. What comes with that is a lot of weddings. I counted them this week. I was just curious. What am I, what am I batting? I've officiated 19 weddings. Now, many who are in ministry longer, uh, they're probably thwart that number, but to me that feels like a lot. It has been a lot in some years. There's one year I did five weddings in one year, but on average that's two weddings a year or so. Weddings are work. They're a lot of work. They're actually pretty stressful. Roger even quipped, I think it was last week, that he'd rather do a funeral than a wedding. Now his point was rightly spiritual. It's because at a funeral, people are listening and especially tuned in to what you're saying as we're all facing our mortality at a funeral. At a wedding, everyone's either buzzed or ready to get buzzed, or they are thinking about their wedding and things that went right or wrong. They're thinking about the wedding they want or don't have. And even the bride and groom who are two feet from me are spacing out most of the time. Uh, Weddings are fun, though, and I, and I highlight this in the because right in the middle, I, I do wish we'd pay more attention at a wedding because in the heart of the wedding, we give and receive vows. We exchange vows or oaths. And I often say in my wedding ceremonies that there's not a, there's not a more important promise that you can make to another human on earth than what you're about to do. The giving, the exchanging of vows. I'm old school, so I use the, the real old vows. Um, and I, I wrote them down here. I just want to read them to you. I place hold the names John Smith and Jane Doe. And I have them repeat these words after me, looking at their spouse. I, John Smith, take you, Jane Doe, to be my wife. And I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband. 
for richer, for poorer, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. I, Jane Doe, take you, John Smith, to be my husband, and I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your faithful, loving, and faithful wife. For richer, for poor, joy, sorrow, sickness, health, as long as we both shall live. That's worth paying attention. That's worth focusing on. Not just the husband and wife that are now husband and wife after saying that, but the whole crowd, the audience, the congregation. Marriage vows, marriage in general is a picture of and a calling to faithfulness. Of remaining committed to what you've promised. Faithfulness is our topic this morning, as you are likely aware. And I want us to see, I want to show you from the scriptures that the Spirit produces faithfulness in us as we behold the faithfulness of Christ. That's an important order. Those those are importantly connected because it's in seeing, beholding, knowing the faithfulness of Jesus that we are then inspired to faithfulness. The Spirit produces faithfulness in us as we see the faithfulness of Jesus. We are going to do as Hebrews 3 verse 1 says. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. My hope and prayer for you this week, and even right now, is that as we are beholding Jesus together, looking at him, Jesus, who was and is faithful, we would be encouraged and fueled unto faithfulness in our lives. To do that, we're going to look at three sections briefly The first is what faithfulness is. We're going to define some terms and get clear so that we're not just thinking, okay, tune out. This is a Christian word. What is faithfulness? Secondly, we're going to see the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And then third and finally, we will think about faithfulness worked in us. So first, what faithfulness is? That nerdy Greek lexicon that I am prone to quote BDAG, standing for four guys' names, Bauer, Danker, Art, and Gingrich, define this word that we're looking at this morning as that which evokes trust and faith. Or the state of being someone in whom confidence can be placed. We are looking at faithfulness. What we mean by that is commitment, constancy, trustworthiness, or as one pastor has defined it, faithfulness is extreme reliability. The Greek word itself, actually, if you had a new Greek, you would just see it's just the word faith. The same word faith that you see all over the New Testament. The fruit of the Spirit is faith. Now, the word itself has a broader range of meaning, though. It can mean faith, simple trust, believing, it can also mean faithfulness, as it does here. Or it can also just mean assurance or even proof. We're talking about this morning the trait of trustworthiness. Are you trustworthy? Dependable? 
systematic theologian and, and pastor Sinclair Ferguson. I included this in your insert there. He highlights a fascinating component of this word in the Old Testament scriptures. He says, it's always been interesting to me that the words for faithfulness and faith in the Old Testament have the same root as the word amen. Faithfulness is just saying an ongoing amen to the commitments that we've made. God has given us a model of what this means. We don't have to make it up because we see it perfectly expressed in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. We're going to get to, in just a few moments, what it looks like in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. But for now, I want you to see that faithfulness produced in us by the Spirit is an ongoing amen. It continued, let it be done to the commitments we've made. It is dependability, being counted on. Friends, faithfulness is being trustworthy. And that leads us to ask the question, well, how has Christ been faithful? What does that mean? Has Christ been faithful? I just read a, a few verses that said he, he was, he is. What does that look like? Well, let's look at our second point, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. I could pick a number of things to show you, and literally there are tons of verses. That was the hardest part of this sermon, was finding out which verses to use on faithfulness, especially when it pertains to Jesus. But I just want to highlight for you, I want you to see that Jesus is faithful in who he is. Secondly, I want you to see that he's faithful in the cross. And if time permits, we'll see, I might show you that he's faithful in his return. So first, God is faithful in his very essence. That is that who Jesus is, is faithfulness. The very first or, or one of the earliest times when God declares who he is, what is God like? The scriptures very early on tell us, we've quoted it a number of times from this pulpit, it's Exodus 34. I did fail to put it in your worship booklet because I decided to do this late in the week, I apologize. But listen to these words. Exodus 34, the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, listen, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Friends, it's woven up in who God is. When we ask, What's the Lord like? Who is he? He tells us in his own words, I am faithful. He's abounding, overflowing in love and faithfulness. He's firm, trustworthy. You can count on him. He remains constant. He doesn't forsake. Friends, God can't become less faithful. He can't become any less trustworthy, then he can become less God because it's who he is. That's good news for us, as we'll see in a moment. Lamentations chapter three celebrates this exact thing. 
says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning in the line that has inspired many a hymn. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Oh my. God's faithfulness to us is similar to a parent's steadiness compared to a child's. God's faithfulness to us is similar to a parent's steadiness, constancy compared to a child's. I saw this on display just a couple weeks ago when my family went on vacation. My sister with her husband, my brother-in-law, and my mom all live in Jacksonville, Florida. So yes, we traveled to Jacksonville, and yes, we decided to fly, all six of us. That was wild. But we went to Jacksonville for vacation, and it was a good time. We went to the beach, uh, one day made our way to St. Augustine. It's not far from Jacksonville. And I'm told at least the day we were there, the, the waves were a little aggressive. They were a little higher than normal. The tide was up, and the waves were, uh, were rather fun for me. But as these couple foot or few foot waves pounded, my eight, seven, and five-year-old, the two-year-old stayed on the beach terrified. Eight, seven, and five years old, they were just getting thrown all over the place. Thrown on the beach. My Amelia, the, the seven-year-old, was thrown not onto the beach, but then covered in the wave. It was, it was wild. Ask me how I was. Completely firm. I was all right. We went into my thighs at first, then up to my waist. The kids loved it. They were getting battered, though. They could not stand still. Thrown all around, and I was unmoving. I still had fun, but I, the illustration needs me to be unmoving, and I was. But <laughs> often the kids had to grab on, if you know what I mean. Dads, moms, if you've ever been to the beach with the little kids, they need to grab on sometimes. Sometimes you need to like, pull their face out of the water because they're struggling. They knew I was steady. And actually, they didn't, they didn't even need me to run over and get them. Actually, they just needed to know that they, they needed me. They, they, they needed to want me. If they just opened their mouth a peep and said, Dad, help, I was there. And what's interesting to me is I actually saw my eight, seven, and five-year-old grow in their confidence in the water, because they knew I was faithful. They knew I was reliable and trustworthy. They knew dad's got us. So when the waves of life batter you like they did my eight, seven, and five-year-old, when temptation rears its head, maybe it's the waves of suffering, maybe the waves of suffering that don't seem to go away, We do what my Isaac, Amelia, and Luke did. Grab hold of God. Better yet, don't even grab hold of God. Just say, God, help. He's there. He's with you. And he is not moved by the waves. Not bothered by the temptations. Not phased one bit by suffering. Grab hold of him. He's constant. He's faithful. He's got you. That's who he is. But secondly, we also see Jesus' faithfulness in the cross. 
not just in who he is, but even in the work that he's done in the cross. In theological circles, we talk about the oneness or the unity of God. Now, you also know that Christians, we happily are Trinitarian. We believe in one God, three persons. One God who have eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God and three persons, yet the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, but they're not three gods, they're one. We good? The Father, Son, and Spirit, though, are unified in one, not just in who they are, but in their work. The Father wanted to save you. The Son wanted to save you. The Spirit wanted to save you. The Father is faithful. The Son is faithful. The Spirit is faithful. They are unified in redeeming you. And actually, most of the heresies that we see around us are missing this. Either truncating all the persons into one, heresy, or separating them too much so that we have like three gods and we're heresy. So let's resist both of, those, both of those extremes as we think for a second about the beauty of our one God and three persons wanting and accomplishing your salvation. What that means is, we often talk about it as the Father planning salvation, the Son accomplishing our salvation, and the Spirit applying our salvation. Or in other words, the Father choosing sinners, the Son purchasing sinners on the cross, and the Spirit reviving sinners in regeneration. Now, you should ask, what does all that have to do with faithfulness? Good question. Friends, we believe that this work of God in our salvation, your salvation, mine, is an agreement that the persons made together before time began. The scriptures and theologians have talked about the redemption of God along those lines. And this is how they did it. Yes, we are saved from sin, death, and hell, but how? Father, Son, and Spirit said it's through the Son of God taking on flesh, becoming a servant. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And that Jesus dying on a criminal's cross after being brought up on false blasphemy charges by the religious elite, dying in your place and in my place, being buried and rising from the dead three days later, Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. And in that moment, specifically in the cross, Jesus is saying, amen, to purchase you. Jesus is saying the ongoing amen, I'm going to be true to what we decided. The one God in three persons. Jesus remained steadfast, firm, dependable, He kept his promise, and he will keep his promise. What a savior. A savior that we get to celebrate these few weeks, this season of Advent where the colors might change a little bit and we're lighting candles and remembering and singing Christmas songs. We remember that the manger always pointed to the hill of Calvary. Christ loves you. 
brothers and sisters. He loves you and he's going to keep all those who are his. That means we don't have to question Christ's faithfulness. I wonder if Jesus is going to be trustworthy today. I hope he is, but I don't know. I wonder if tomorrow when you wake up, is, are we going to be able to count on Jesus? The cross says, yes. He's promised to save all those who come to him. Think about our salvation. When we trusted in Jesus and said, yes, I am a Christian, we were taking Jesus at his word. He's dependable. We could say, friends, let me just use the prophetic you. You owe your life to the faithfulness of the Son. We owe our lives to the faithfulness of Christ. It's who he is. We see it in the cross, and we will see it in his return. I just put a verse in your your sermon insert from Revelation 19, just because it's a fantastic passage. It's the, the white horse riding back. Let me just read it. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it, what's his name? He's called Faithful and true in righteousness. He judges and makes wars. Verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Friends, do you believe that? The one who's been faithful in who he is, he's been faithful in the cross. He says he's coming back to make all things right. He says he's got us, like I had my kids in the ocean. Do you believe it? Is he faithful? Yes. Do you know how Moses responded in Exodus 34? Started our time in this looking at Jesus section with Exodus 34, where where God says he's uh, um, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The next verse Verse eight, Moses quickly bowed his head toward earth and worshiped. That's what we get to do now. We're going to move into thinking about seeing Jesus and who he is, what he's done, and the fact that he's going to come back again and make all things right. What does that have to do with me and how can I, we, now reflect the faithfulness that is Jesus, we ask, what does faithfulness look like for me, for us? Third and finally, faithfulness worked in us. I have four things I want to highlight. What does faithfulness look like for us? Well, I think there's things we can think about when it comes to faithfulness in our relationships, home, church, and world. I want to highlight these and think about them together because we live in a world that doesn't prize faithfulness. I don't think so, at least. Is it hard? Quit. She, he, driving you nuts now? Does he make terrible noises in the night? Does he sleeps? Relationships are not the same as when we started. Just find another one. Leave. Is your job hard? Good news, walk away. 
Is that class getting the best of you? Just quit on and on and on. Commitment and trustworthiness are like cuss words in our time. Or at least they are experientially. I'm speaking generally here. I don't know every, every situation there is. There probably is a time to maybe find a new job and all those caveats aside. We live in a faithless, faithless generation. The Holy Scriptures here show us faithfulness, the faithfulness of Christ, and they call us to be trustworthy and faithful like he is in a world that is very different. We could say different than Will Smith and his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith. I went down a rabbit hole this week. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. They've both released memoirs in the last month or last year. I enjoy a number of Will Smith movies too, just so you know. Will Smith is, is fun. I even hesitated putting this in my sermon though because I was afraid to be slapped. Um, <laughs> Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith's marriage is one of faithlessness. And it was founded that way. It was that way the whole time and that's why it's been a wreck the last seven years. Newspaper article as early as 2005 reported that Will Smith came up with a very unconventional way of keeping his marriage on track. Newsflash, it didn't stay on track. But this was his solution. It was to ask permission first for cheating on his wife. He and his wife, Jada, apparently agreed that it's okay to sleep with someone else as long as it isn't behind the back of the other. If they ask permission first and permission is granted, go for it. It was 2005. I think they were married in 97. That was 2005. Now they've put out their books. It's been a disaster. They're still technically married, but they've been living separate for seven years. And they have had relations with other men and women since their marriage. But every time they asked permission. Will Smith said, in our marriage vows, we didn't say forsaking all others. The vow that we made was that you'll never hear that I did something after the fact. Now, I want to commend the latter part. Not hearing about something after the fact is, is good in and of itself. It's the first part that I have problems with. Friends, when it comes to your relationship, covenant relationship with Jesus, you don't have to worry about that. That's not on the radar. He says, I will not forsake you or leave you. And it's in that light that we then are now thinking, okay, what does faithfulness look like for me? I don't want to get it backwards. We see Jesus and therefore live out faithfulness. First, we're called to be faithful in our relationships. I purposely use the word relationship and not just marriage, though we'll talk about marriage for a second. Husbands and wives, where are you right now? Maybe you find yourself in the valley in all those vows that I started with, you're in the poorer, the worse, sorrow, sickness, not the health, joy, and plenty. I'm not saying this flippantly, so I don't want it to come across this way, but this is what you signed up for. Mountaintops and valleys, good, bad, and ugly, for richer, for poor, will you remain faithful? Are you trustworthy? Are you saying the, the ongoing amen to your marriage and leaning in 
or are you going to bounce? Faithfulness of marriage is certainly tied to what's physical, physical faithfulness, also what you're viewing and looking at. It's also spiritual, emotional, and mental. And maybe though, your, your marriage is actually on the for richer side. None of that really applied to you. You're like, I don't know. You're in the for better. You're in, in health and in joy. Friends, continue on. Looking to Jesus and seeing his faithfulness and reciprocating that to your loved one. Be faithful. But not everyone is married and not everyone will be married. I'm aware of that. And so faithfulness as singles can also manifest in relationships. I'm thinking of your relationship with your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Ultimately, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Married and single, we can seek ways to demonstrate faithfulness, to be dependable and trustworthy in serving our friends, our neighbors, and all of those in our spheres. Let's seek to be faithful in our relationships. Also in our homes, parents and kiddos here, parents, I don't know if you knew this, you made commitments when you had kids. We actually, in, in those of us who brought our children forth for baptism when they were little, literally made commitments. We're now called, as we see the faithfulness of Jesus, to be faithful to our little blessings. Who we promise right here before this church body that we will raise in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to the best of our ability. As much as depends on us. Rooted and youth group are great accessories. They really are. Not gonna lie, we crush it. Especially Emily. Rooted, they crush it big time. We just, in youth group, do our best to, to keep fostering what, what Emily started. Rooted and youth group are wonderful accessories to your calling, mom, dad. You committed to teach your children Christ, to show them Christ, to teach them the scriptures, to help them hone their passions, to point them in the direction of being good men and women of God. Children. Kiddos, anybody in here less than 17 years old, if I don't have your attention already, give me your attention. Everybody who's 17 or less, everybody say faithful. Excellent. You are called to be faithful. Ephesians 6 says, children, honor and obey your parents in the Lord. Faithfulness for you might look like examining your heart, your actions to see ways in which you can better obey mom and dad. Ways you can better honor mommy and daddy. We're called to be faithful in relationships, in the home, and in the church. I'm not talking about us as a group here looking around. This is why I love church membership. That's why I love the church in general. Side category, this is not in my notes do you guys know tomorrow, our family of churches, our denomination is celebrating 50 years. In the grand scheme, one who studies histories, that's not actually very long, but it's a long time to me. 50 years of faithfulness. It would have been longer if we didn't have to break away from unfaithfulness as a denomination. Institutions, peoples have such a quick temptation to drift 
and be faithless. But this is why I love local church memberships. We're committing ourselves one to another in our membership vows. Just like all covenants, really, we're making promises. We're declaring to, to seek the fruit of faithfulness, to be good church members, selfless givers of finances, faithful in church attendance, trustworthy, dependable when it comes to extra events that we offer as a church. Are you faithful? Faithful to look and see ways to encourage one another. Actively looking for evidences of grace and saying, I'm going to point that out to my brother or sister because it means a lot to them. Faithfulness. Fourth, finally, we're called to be faithful in our world. Talking about outside these walls, Monday through Saturday. Yes, as we've been looking and we'll hear throughout Advent, we have been saved from our sin through a faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, we're free from damnation, free from condemnation through the cross and through the empty tomb, but we're also saved to something. We're saved to be on mission as a people. We are saved, delivered, redeemed, whichever synonym you want, for other people to be outward facing. Y'all, we're on a quest with the Lord. And yes, while we are citizens of a heavenly Jerusalem, we do live here and now. So what does it look like? We ask ourselves, what have we committed to? What have we said yes to? This is all sorts of applications, workplaces, coffee shops, but specifically neighborhoods, your promises, I'm, I'm, but I'm thinking about our work, our vocation, our calling. What does it look like to be the dependable worker? Not in a vacuum, but because we have a dependable savior. We're called to faithfulness in our vocation, in a darkened and faithless world, where likely many of your coworkers are not dependable. Now, lest we fall into the all too common law and legalism trap. Remember, one, first we're going to do this imperfectly until glory. I also want us to remember that this faithfulness in our relationships, home, church, and world are blessings. They're callings. They're privileges. As Tim always says, we get to do this. We get to be faithful. But, Your standing with the Lord Jesus is not grounded on your ability to be faithful. Let me say that again. Your standing with the Lord is not founded upon your ability to be faithful, but on another. Yes, the scriptures call us to faithfulness. Yes, they call us to trustworthiness, but our hope and our joy is in the faithfulness of Jesus. What this means for us, in a reminder kind of way, friends, the kingdom of God is for faithless people. Because those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus came for the faithless ones who recognize their faithlessness and confess it and give it to Jesus. And it's pictured for us in a marriage feast. It's pictured for us in a feast of faithfulness, the Lord's table, to which we come now and to which we come each week. This meal is for you. 
faithless one, untrustworthy one, one who's struggled being dependable, maybe betrayed trust of close friends and loved ones. This is for you because Jesus says, look, look at the cross, look at the bread, look at the wine and know as the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to you, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through Jesus that we utter our amen to God, to his glory. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. That's why for richer, for poor, in joy, and in sorrow, in sickness, and in health, as long as we shall live, Jesus is faithful. He is firm. He is constant. He's dependable. He is trustworthy. Look at the bread and look at the wine. They're preaching to us the faithfulness of Jesus.